Hopefully, if uh, you didn't, if my rambling earlier didn't make sense, that what y'all laughing at? If that rambling didn't make sense, hopefully the songs um, settled in a little bit of what's going on. Um, and uh, what I want us to look at is um, we've established the fact that. Um, there was a curse passed down from, uh, from Adam to you and to me. Um, and we were born under that curse. Uh, we've established that, but also established that Jesus is the remedy to that curse. Um, what we're going to do the next couple of weeks is look at different aspects of the curse and how he came and cured um, each one of those things. That there's not an, an incomplete... Um, anything about what he did on the cross. There's nothing left to be done as far as as our salvation is concerned. Um, You aren't, you know, slowly being made more and more complete in in that sense. What what we are doing is we're becoming uh, more and more like Christ. So yes, there is a completion in that sense that we have, that we're maturing and we're growing and we're changing. Um, but what we're doing is we're, we're catching up to the reality of our new heart. That we have this new heart and now um, all of our, our, uh, our thoughts and our, our actions and our emotions and all this other stuff about us is basically trying to learn how to, to be consistent with who we are on the inside because of Christ. And so tonight we're going to look at um, as Jesus as king. The typical order would be prophet, priest, king. But we're going to go out of order and I have reasons for that. Um, we're going to start off with king. And... Um, and kind of look at, at what Romans 3 addresses as, as a part of, of the curse. Um, now, I'm scared to death to preach out of Romans. You may have noticed, I don't do it very often. And it scares me. It really does. Because there's, it's, it's so intense and so easy to mess up and misinterpret. And, uh, so, but I'm going to do my, do my best to not mess up tonight, okay? I, won't, I can't promise you pass tonight. Tonight I'm going to try not to mess this up. Uh, Romans 3... Starting verse 9. It says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they've not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. This is establishing uh, one aspect of the curse that is especially problematic for us. And it is the fact that... um, um, Every, every aspect of our lives 
was impacted by sin. Every, everything about us has been uh, discolored. We were created in the image of God, literally in His likeness. Um, dogs are not created in His likeness. Uh, Shamu was not created in His likeness. Uh, the, the Grand Canyon was not created in His likeness. Now, all those things are great, and they're beautiful, and they reflect Him, but humanity, we were created in His image, in His likeness. Um, the same way that, that you can look at a father and a son, and you see that the son is in the likeness of the father, that's how we were, were created. Um, but when Adam sinned, that changed. That likeness was distorted to where Adam didn't look like God anymore. Neither did Eve. When they had kids, that was passed to Cain and to Abel. And it just kept going and going and going. All the way to us. And so we're born, we're born under that. And um, now I think, like, for mo- the most part, Christians under, like, can understand that, you know. We understand there's, there's something not right. And like I said earlier, when the law was put out there, it was like, honor your father and mother. You learned at a very young age that you need a, re- you need a remedy because when you're supposed to honor your father and mother, what's the thing you want to do? Not honor your father and mother. Don't think of the number nine. You're going to think of the number nine. I mean, that's, that's the thing. And so from a very young age, we're, we recognize that something is not right. But what I think we, we still um, have to continue to, to understand is that um, every part of us was affected by that. Not just our morality, you know. That it was our, our emotions. It was the, the lens through which we look and interpret everything. Those are our motives and why we make decisions and um, the way that we talk and the way that we think and um, the way that we put on fronts and so that people think that we're one way when we're really another way. I mean, everything about us was affected by that fall, by that sin. And so that's a curse is that we were, we're under this enslavement, you know, like there's just nothing we can do, uh, nothing we could do about it in our own strength. Now that's really unfortunate because that, that leaves us, no, like, there's just nowhere to go from there. When you say every single aspect of your character, spiritual, physical, and emotional, every bit of it has been uh, discolored by sin. Spiritually, we're separated, can't choose God. Emotionally, we're all over the map, and we're just completely self-centered, so everything that doesn't feel right to us must be wrong, and everything that does feel right to us must be right. And then physically, that's why we're sick. That's why we grow old and die. That's why bad things happen. We live in this world that was cursed. That's why the earth, like, moves. I mean, how many earthquakes have we seen show up on CNN in the last two weeks? It, every time I look up, it seems like there's another one. Aftershocks or or other ones, or whatever, and I mean, that's a part of it. So it's that, it's that pollution in our, in our selves, in our emotional, and our physical, and our spiritual self, completely polluted. Now sometimes you'll hear people talk about, they'll call that total depravity. And when you hear total depravity, you know, I mean, that's like, uh, you know, like you are like completely depraved, you know, like it makes you sound like you're just insane. You're as insane as you could possibly get. That's not what total depravity means. What that, what that term is actually trying to say is that everything about you has been affected. It doesn't mean that you are like 
incredibly evil. You're not like the devil's twin now. That's not, that's not what it is. And that's why there are people who are not Christians who do really, you do, they do really good things. Because there's still an image of God there, it's just been discolored. And so when that image comes through, and that's when you see, like, that's the remnant. And that's what Jesus came to fix, is to take that, that discoloration and, and set it right again. That's what he came to be the remedy of. Now, in order for that to happen, um, there needs to be some, some serious authority coming into our lives. And I wanted to start with this one because I think this helps us make sense of the other two. And I think this has a serious impact on daily life. Let's, let's go to Colossians 1. See, I'm not going to stay in Romans very long. Colossians 1, this is more familiar territory. And we're going to start with 19 and 20, but then we're going to read the whole paragraph. Um, 19 and 20, we talked about this last Sunday night a little bit. Verse 19 says, For in him, okay, this is Jesus, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Right? Reconciling all things to himself. All things to himself. Whether it's on, on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So what this is saying is that because he shed his blood on the cross, because of that, there is peace and everything has been reconciled back to him. So it's, it's, it's cross-centered. It, it comes down to Jesus' obedience. Like we read earlier, through Adam's disobedience, all this sin and death and destruction and pain, everything came through one man to all of humanity. Yet through this other man, his obedience can bring grace and redemption and eternal life. It's beautiful. So through his obedience, everything has been reconciled to him. Now let's read the whole paragraph. And let's see if there's... a I want you to, to really zero in on the theme of uh, just this total and complete just covering over, over everything. Look how many times the word all shows up in this paragraph. Verse 15, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And, like that's not enough, he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on, heaven or, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Is there a theme there? Think Paul's trying to make a point? There, there are no exceptions to the authority of Christ. When we sing songs and we're talking about the, the kingdom and Jesus being our king, like there is, there's nothing that is outside the umbrella of his authority. 
Not a single thing. Not only is there not a single thing, there's not a single moment. Let me read this to you. This is from uh, Mark Driscoll, Mark Driscoll's book called Vintage Jesus. Um, he quotes uh, quotes uh, Abraham Kuyper, I guess how you say it. So there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. There's not, there's, you cannot name a thing that Jesus does not point at and say, that's mine. And when I read that, I was just kind of taken back. I was like, wow. I could just make a list, and there, I couldn't even, I couldn't do it. I could not make a list that would find that exceptional thing that he could not point out and say, no, that's mine. Because he was obedient, died on the cross, reconciled all things to himself, and now there's peace, and he is over everything. So when it comes to the curse and the aspect of of the curse of us being polluted that means that my emotional and spiritual and physical pollution is brought under the umbrella of his authority as the king. So we don't, we don't really understand kingship because we live in America. And most countries you know, around the world, like even the, you know, the ones that have kings and stuff, they probably don't really understand kingship in a biblical sense. I mean, my closest deal, I can watch Braveheart or you know, whatever, and that's like the closest I can come to understanding what it would be like. But to have this, this authority that is, is over you and to have your entire existence be contingent on the character of the king, that, that, that's crazy to me. That if there's a king and he is good and he is noble, then it's, living in his kingdom is going to be awesome. But if there's a king who is a tyrant and he is selfish and he is his ego drives all his decisions, it's not going to be a lot of fun to live in that kingdom. And so when I think about my, my emotions, when I was born, they were distorted, they were discolored. When I came to know Christ, they were reconciled, they were set right again. And now what's, having, what's happening in my life is, is my... The, my outside life, my external life, is trying to catch up with the reality of my internal life. So my whole existence at this point, in, as far as my emotions go, okay, um, when, I, uh, when something happens and I react, I can react one of two ways. I can either react in a way that's consistent with who I am inside, or I can act with a way that's, in a way that's inconsistent with who I am. And so here I have this covering, this king who is over me, and that king says, look, we're going we're gonna to work to make your... your your external, like, um, your external life, the way those, those emotions play out, we're going to work to make those things consistent with who you really are. And I have a king who's willing to meet me in the, in the moment every single day, no matter what goes on. And in that moment, the king who he has control over that is there and saying, like, I, I will control that emotion to where you don't react that way. I will... I will exercise my authority as king over your life and as king over all lives, I will, I will step in and do that. 
that that in that when my the physical curse that I live under, I was born, and so there it was. It was discolored. I'm just gonna keep doing this with my hands to me it makes sense. I was, it was discolored, but it was it was there when I was saved. It was set right. And does that mean that I won't get sick ever? Does it mean I won't have bad things happen to me physically? No. What that means is that whatever happens to me physically can't really harm me. I live in a world that's full of pain. But it can't really harm me because my king is over that. If I go to the doctor tomorrow and I get this terrible report, it may hurt me physically. It may be a painful thing to walk through emotionally, but it cannot harm me because my king is over that. That the worst case scenario, I die, I get to go be with him, so that's, that's a win. And if that doctor looks at me and says, every day for the rest of your life, you're going to live in the most like, brutal agony you've ever experienced. Even that can't really harm me. It can hurt me, but it can't harm me. Because my king is over that. Because my king says, I'll meet you in the pain. I'll meet you in your suffering. And I will walk you through every bit of it. Because this is not outside the umbrella of my authority. This falls well within my, my realm of control. Now, when we talk about this, this kingdom, sometimes it's, it's communicated in kind of two different ways. That it's some, what some call it the, the kingdom of power and there's a kingdom of grace. Um, kingdom of power would be uh, like Jesus' authority over all, like um, everything that's like external, everything that's physical, everything that's visible. So that would be his authority over, uh, over government, his authority over the earth, his authority over the economy, um, his authority over uh, sickness and disease, and like uh, everything, that, everything that we can, can look at and we can say, that's messed up. Everything you see on the news, everything that you, that you fear is going like, to become a reality in your life, like all those things... Um, Jesus' kingdom of, of power, meaning that he is, is over all that stuff. And I think sometimes when we're talking about Jesus as the king, like we understand that, but then we, but then we watch the news. You know, you, you see these, some of these things go down, and you're like, okay, well, if this is like under his umbrella of authority, then why in the world am I watching it? And I think... I and mean, this is probably a bad analogy for South Louisiana people, but I think it's like levees on a river. Um, that I think God's, God is, he's like levees, you know. And so this river is just, it's just rolling. I mean, life and existence, it's moving forward. And within that river, there's, all, there's currents and there's just all kind of crazy things that can go on. But God is, the, he's set the course of where the river's going. And that river, uh, according to the Bible, is like sending us straight to Jesus. I mean, if, if, you, think about, if you think about the Bible in terms of the same river, like um, if you go to Daniel 7, it's looking forward to Jesus. If 
you look at Mark 14, Jesus is saying, yeah, I'm, I'm the king that they were talking about in Daniel 7. Um, if you look at Philippians 2, it's looking back at Jesus saying, like, yeah, he's the king. If you look at Revelation 19, everybody's going to be like, oh, yeah, Jesus is the king. One day, everybody's going to be saying it. And so here's, here's Christ and his authority, and he's like, rivers of this levee, and he's like, look, this river can be crazy, but I'm controlling where it's going. And it's, it's coming to me. Everything in life is ultimately going to point to me. The whole Bible points to Christ. Every world event, every everything is ultimately going to come down to everybody kneeling and worshiping. So the kingdom of power, pretty awesome. The other kingdom, the kingdom of grace, people talk about that's, that's him, um, him reigning over his church, over, over us, over you and me. And that would be more of, that's, if, if kingdom of power was external, this is, this is more that internal reign. This is the invisible stuff. This is our, um, our progressive sanctification. That's, that's us progressively daily becoming more like Christ, of him working things out, of him helping us, um, like I was talking about, like emotionally reacting in a way that's consistent with who we are in Christ, with us um, and, and the various sin issues that we deal with, with, with him stepping in, meeting us in those things, and him exercising his authority to help us act and behave and speak uh, in ways that's consistent with this new heart that he's given us. This is that invisible realm of, of you know, Satan and his demons and all these things that are going on. That's him protecting us, him uh, crushing Satan, um, keeping us from all those kinds of things. This is all the stuff that goes on internally. So at the same time, there's kingdom of power, kingdom of grace, external, internal, uh, visible, invisible. Um, both of those things are happening at the same time. It's like two sides of the same coin. If the coin is, is Jesus' kingdom reign, in one sense, he's controlling everything that's going on everywhere, all the time, down to the most minute detail. On the other side of the coin, he's meeting you in your struggle with, with you know, whatever, lying, and he's saying, um, okay, let's deal with this. That he has that kind of authority, that all things have been reconciled to him, so he can literally handle um, the earthquake recovery in Haiti and help you deal with your struggle with lying in the same exact moment. That's the kind of king who is ruling over everything. And he gets super amped about both of those things. He's super amped about helping people through the tragedy of an earthquake and also with your own struggle with being honest or whatever it might be. So when we talk about the curse of pollution, that every single aspect of our lives has been affected by the curse, and Jesus comes in to be the remedy, as the king, he joins us in that, no matter what it is. No matter how small it is, no matter how complicated we've, we've made it, or no matter how much we've like, messed things up, he meets us in that. That the king wants to sit down with you and say, hey, I have authority over this. I have authority over this. Quit fighting me for power and control. See, the, his, his control over the universe, that should bring us hope. Like that should help us look at things and, 
and really just, just be in a place where we're like, I cannot believe that I'm watching this. I'm so grateful that Jesus is the remedy for this. I'm so grateful that the remedy is also the king. That he's the boss over this situation, and whatever he says is going to go. I'm so glad that he, he's the levy, and he's, he's going to bring this to him. And the kingdom of grace, about the, the internal stuff, the invisible stuff, that should bring a great deal of humility to us. That should, should put us in, in a place where, where we look at our emotional lives and our spiritual lives and our physical lives and we say, not, there's not one thing about our lives that is, that is that's ours, that's mine. That he rules over my emotions Everything I feel, everything I think I feel, everything I don't feel, he's over that. He's over everything about me spiritually, my prayer life, my disciplines, how Christ-like I am. We've been talking about evangelism and ministry, and he's over all that stuff. He's over every bit of me becoming more and more like him, and he meets me in those things. And he's over me physically, that whatever, whatever is going on, whatever is going to happen, he's going to meet me in that, and it'll be Okay. We've been talking to community group about all our experiences, our family upbringing and the life experiences we've been through and how he just takes those things and he's like, this may have been completely full of pain, but I will bring beautiful things from it. Why? Because he's the king and he's over all of it. He's reconciled it all. Now, uh, is anybody, anybody here do boy state or girl state? Let me see if there are any boy state, girl state people out there. Okay. Uh, boy state, girl state... Um, it was one of, the, one of the worst weeks of my life, in a lot of ways. Uh, I mean, I liked some stuff, but a lot of it just, it just, was, it just wasn't me. But I was just pumped to, I was pumped to be there, you know. I, it was an honor to be there. But here's what Boy State, I don't know about Girl State because I didn't go to Girl State, but I went to Boy State. Boy State this is what it is. They take, uh, at least this is how it was in the mid-'90s. Uh, they, uh, they, they, you took two guys from every school, I think, and you basically you put us in Kirby Smith dorm when it was still a dorm. And... Um, you, you create this fake government. And uh, so, like, Kirby Smith has, like, like, two main hallways. So, like, each hallway was a city. And so within that city, you, create, you set up an entire city government structure. You know, you had a mayor, you had a police jury, you had uh, all that stuff. Uh, and then the two cities, like, became a parish. So your whole floor was a parish. And so within that, you had a full parish government. And you had to, like, elect people. You had to have votes. And, and then, so, like, uh, whatever the police jury was going to do, they had to, like, meet they had to do, you had city planners, you had to do projects, you had to do all this stuff. And, and uh, then, um, then you would have like the state meeting and you had the nationalists and the federalists. And so people ran for senators and representatives and like governor, lieutenant governor, all that stuff. So you had a statewide thing. Then we'd go to the Capitol. And anyway, you spent an entire week setting up this like completely fake government. And uh, so my, my particular city was hilarious because like nobody really cared about anything um there was uh on there's like a sunday and like everybody goes to church and the only three people in all of boy state to not go to church were from my parish because they were like i don't go to church while i'm at home why would i go when i'm at boy state they're like okay we can't really argue with that um and uh our um the guy that won the governor deal our city uh kidnapped him <laughs> and tied him tied him up uh, well, stripped him down to his boxers, tied him up, uh, gagged him, uh, put him in the elevator with a sign that says, I'm the governor, 
and pressed every floor uh, in Kirby Smith. Um, that, was, that, was my, that was my floor. Um, and the guy that won governor was super cool. His name was Steve Zissis. And the other guy, I don't remember. But these two guys and all these other people, there were so many people there who, like, I would sit there and I would listen to their, their speeches and I would be like, oh, they know this is fake, right? Like, this does not exist. Like, it's called Boys State. I was not really the Republican senator from Kane Parish. It was fake. But I think, like to try and make a really rabbit-chasing parallel, I think that many of us live in this fake reality that we are awesome and powerful and kingly. I think that we, we like to hear this message that Jesus is authority and he is the king. And we're like, absolutely, when it comes to these issues, yeah, yeah. But there's, this, there's a few little side issues that are all mine. Like the quote said, that there's nothing that Jesus does look at and say, that's mine. But there are some things we say, yeah, but not this. This is mine. And we're kidding ourselves. We're living in boy state and thinking that it's real. And it's not really that, that Jesus, like, it's not really one of those things where, um, where we say, like, I'm going to like, accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior and my King. You're not accepting him like, like he's like, sitting there with his fingers crossed, being like, oh, I really want to be the King of your life. You're accepting the reality that boy state is fake, and there's a real state that you live in. You're accepting the reality that Jesus really is the king and you've been playing king. This is, let me read this. This is another thing from, from Driscoll, from Driscoll's book. He's talking about uh, the pitfalls of evangelical life, which would be a lot of us. Um, he kind of picks on uh, fundamentalists, evangelicalists, and liberal, liberalists, I don't know. Um, and our church is probably more in this middle group says, the curious fact of modern evangelicalism is that there is both a general assent to basic Christian truths and a moral life that is virtually indistinguishable from the average non-Christian. So we, we're really good at, like, we believe all these truths except for a couple of these, these things that are mine. He goes on to say, in this form of religion, which is not what we're going for, um, this is, he, he's making fun, uh, basically like making fun of uh, a lot of us. In this form of religion, people know that Jesus speaks the truth and that he loves them. So when they sin, they know that Jesus will forgive them and still love them. But they still rule over their own life. And when they need help, they read the Bible or ask Jesus to serve them. Practically, they don't see Jesus ruling over them, but rather coming alongside them to help them to achieve their objectives. He's only allowed to do so when he's invited. The result is a double life of hypocrisy in which we call Jesus Lord and call his word true and then do whatever we want in some areas of our life 
because the pants are mine, the money's mine, the web browser's mine, the food is mine, the alcohol is mine, the schedule is mine, the life is mine, and the glory is mine. And I will rule as king over aspects of my own life with Jesus as little more than my trusty assistant. Um, I don't, I'm not saying like, and that is our church. <laughs> I'm not saying that. But I can tell you that I read that and said, and that's my life sometimes in some areas. I think it's, it's, an, it's good, I think, for us to, to identify the, the progress that Christ has, has made and identify the fact that I'm not who I was a year ago or five years ago to be able to see the, the, the progress but at the same time recognize that the tendency is going to be, I, I want to be the king. I want those things to be mine. I want to have my little pocket of, of areas of life that I don't want him, him speaking into, and I don't want him exercising authority over. And what happens is I just keep going and living in boy state for a little while, where, while Jesus is completely ready to, to fix and to mend and to heal and to grow. The reality is he just he stays the king. And I don't know how that reaches into your life. I don't know how this message in general reaches into your life. But if every area of our lives was affected by the curse, everything was discolored, and he has set it back right, and then as the authority figure over everything on the, in the universe, um, he comes in and says, okay, now I'm going to teach you moment by moment how to live in a way that's consistent with who you are. Um, I'm the king of your life. Your life is truly not your own. Your life is mine. When I think about it in that terms, I don't want to go live in boy's state. I don't. And there are areas of life that I know I have just staked claim over. And I've convinced myself that either Jesus doesn't have authority over it because he hasn't shown up the way I think he should, or that he doesn't want authority over it, um, or that he just kind of can't, or that he's too busy with the earthquake victims and stuff like that. And, you know, I've convinced myself of something, but basically I've just been lying to myself and saying that boy state is better than living in the kingdom. Something God's been doing lately, and it's really irritating. Uh, irritating in a, in a good way. Um, I'll, I'll see something, or I'll, I'll think about something, or, um, and I was thinking, man, that would be so great. Like, I was on a fishing trip weekend before last, or whatever, and I, like, you just, you know, you just see sometimes these big camps, you know, and it's like all this stuff, and there's a part of me that's like, I don't want that. That's materialism. Another part of me is like, you want that. If somebody gave you that, you would take it. And you would bring your friends. And I would look at him, and there would just be this little voice, and he would just say, you know I'm better than that, right? You know, I'm, my goodness is, is more good than that. The feeling that you think you would have to, to live there for that to be yours or whatever. I'm, I'm better than that. I'm better than Boy State. I'm better than everything. 
and I'm, I'm your king. It's not a matter of me letting him be the king. It's me living in the reality of his kingship. Beautiful. Beautiful truth. I don't know what it has to do with your life, though. But I know this. Um, he knows. He's the king. He knows the things you're pointing at and saying, that's mine. And if you have some guts and you want to know, you ask him, and he'll tell you. And then what? Well, he'll show you that too. But it's not a coincidence that God's brought this to us. It's not a coincidence that we're going into Easter and singing to the king and about the king um, and with others about our great king is going to be a part of it. It's just it's what it is. So maybe he's wanting us to step into reality a little bit more. I don't know. That's between you and him. So the way we normally do things is I'll talk for probably too long and then um, we'll sing some songs that pertain to what we've just talked about as a, a way for us to respond. And the songs we sing, you'll, you'll know them, but maybe, maybe, maybe we just sing them from a different place uh, in our hearts tonight. I don't know. Uh, let's just let God do what he wants, uh, whatever he wants to do in our midst as we just conclude in here a second. Let me, let me pray for us as the band comes up. Father, your, um, your goodness is just, just amazing, absolutely amazing, that you would, you would desire uh, to be the king over, over us as much as we tend to rebel and think that we're so great and almost in a sense like challenge you as if that's possible, uh, challenge you for authority and credit and glory and whatever. But we know that you love us, and we know um, we know that while you are controlling and holding the universe together, and you're bringing everything to yourself, you also want to meet us where we are, and not condemn us, because there's no condemnation. you want to step in and, and show off your authority in the little things as well. In our emotional and spiritual and physical struggles, you want to bring that authority in and just completely show off. God, we don't want to live lives where we're just completely deceived and co convinced ourselves that of something that's not true. We don't want to live lives where we just see you as our assistant or we just run to you when we need help or whatever. We want to live fully in the kingdom. We want to step into that truth. For all of us, it's going to mean something a little bit different, but at the same time, for all of us, it's the same, same remedy, same cure. We thank you, God, that you looked at us and you saw us living under this curse. You loved us enough to say, I'm going to fix this. And you fixed it that day on the cross, and you walk with us every single day, continuing to teach us and guide us and love us. So however we need to respond to you, Father, help us to do so in a way that is glorifying to you.